This Farm and Fiddle podcast comes from an interview with attorney Steve Jeffrey, recorded at KOPN Columbia, Missouri on August 28, 2019. was wrong staying in the wilderness too long keep your eyes on the prize hold on the only thing we done was right was the day we started to fight keep your eyes on the prize hold on hold on hold on keep your eyes on the prize You are listening to Farm and Fiddle, the podcast that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow. Every week since June 1999, we have brought you the best voices in sustainable agriculture on Mid-Missouri's KOPN 89.5 FM. This is Rhett Hartman. I'm Margot McMillan. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Farm and Fiddle. This is 89.5 KOPN. We're going to have uh, Steve Jeffries on uh, talking about all things legal, legalese and CAFOese and uh, Missouriese. So stick around. Oh, we forgot to introduce you, our Rhett Hartman. Oh, I am Red Hartman. I'm Margot McMillan. This is Farm and Fiddle. And we have with us this evening Steve Jeffrey, who is an attorney, environmental attorney, uh, hails from st louis and we're going to talk to him about some court activities that he's been involved in in the last couple of weeks and just looking at the schedule and the press releases and the and the articles that i've been gleaning um you have had a very busy couple of weeks so it'll be interesting to hear how all this is and thank you so much for being here it's great thanks for having me back again guys and I, I just want to give a little background on Steve because he has been um, an environmental advocate, a lawyer for more than 30 years, and his his career has really spanned the gamut of um, environmental law and litigation. From 1987 to 1993, he served as the general counsel for the Missouri Department of Natural Resources. And so he got to learn about the DNR from the inside out. He was involved in legal review of policy, enforcement, legislative and regulatory matters. And um, so, you know, really knows what's going on with environmental law in Missouri left DNR and became an independent and has his own law firm now and has been working really in the last few years a lot on the on the citizen side of fighting concentrated animal feeding operations which of course we know as CAFOs and this this is a industry that's kind of um, it's been in Missouri for a long time we've been we've gosh premium standard farms goes back to I think 94 um, but suddenly it's sort of springing up again here in mid-Missouri more than it has in the past. So, Steve, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate sure. it. 
So maybe we should just start with the, you know, the real basic, what is a concentrated animal feeding operation and um, why would citizens object to it? Again, thanks for having me on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Essentially, if, if we went back in time, 50, 100 years, people have a family farm right the animals are free range or in, in a large enclosed area with a fence and whatnot but um uh, apparently probably 25 years ago 25 to 30 years ago someone had the idea well instead of having the animals do that let's concentrate them all in an enclosed area mm-hmm. pack them in um so it's easier or i, I think they're uh, business model is it's more cost effective for them to do it that way mm-hmm. and and there's lots of different types of CAFOs whether it's a cattle CAFO or a swine CAFO for example most swine CAFOs here uh, the most recent ones that have been built have what are called deep pit containment pits mm-hmm. for the manure if, if, if your viewers can visualize uh, <laughs> an underground concrete structure Mm-hmm. the size of two football fields stuck end to end that's 10 to 12 feet deep Ooh, and on top of that is a slatted floor and the animals are concentrated in this area along you know on top of the slotted floor mm-hmm. so right. all of their waste and manure and um, uh, things like that are collected in these deep pits which are then routinely pumped out and generally land applied for fertilizer at area mm-hmm. fields Mm-hmm. There you go. So that's a lot of manure. You're talking about thousands of animals uh, packed into these buildings. And, of course, the manure pumped out every, what, six months or even? Yeah, that, that can vary. But, but mm-hmm. again, I, I think the important takeaway here is that one of these facilities, again, using a swine cable for an example, mm-hmm. right. if it's, if it's uh, a, a large facility, it can generate between 8 to 10 million gallons of hog waste and have it all collected in this deep concrete storage pit Mm -hmm. so you 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 can only imagine what the odor would be like for employees who had to you know work in the place and work on the immediate uh premises but imagine if you're a landowner that you know you live a quarter of a mile half a mile a mile downwind of this facility and you live on a century farm that's been in your family for decades and decades and then all of a sudden a facility like this pops up Mm -hmm. so that's that's really the concern that i found that that most of my clients have with this you know uh, my clients are not anti-ag people Mm -hmm. they're not uh uh, left-winging tree hugger liberal types if someone (laughs) were to categorize them like that they're just down home farm people want to live their life uh, as best they can for themselves and their families mm-hmm. and they have to deal with this issue all mm-hmm. of a sudden that's just thrust upon them wow. well and it seems like um, when this happens it's it's usually there's a corporation behind it that's a big money corporation that people can hardly imagine fighting it or or they maybe are afraid to fight it but if the neighborhood is concerned about it that's really the the legal uh avenue is one of the very few avenues that they can take sure and generally most folks find out about a proposed CAFO coming into their area is when they go to the mailbox one day Mm -hmm. and they get a certified letter from 
an engineering company out of state and it's a form letter that says, hey, you're notified because you live within a certain radius of where this facility is going to be, that this facility has applied for a permit from the Department of Natural Resources. And that, that, that's about it. That's called a neighbor notice letter. <laughs> so, so then uh, after reading the letter, most yeah. people you know, ha- have a computer in their home these days and you go online and you look up DNR's website and you go to the applicable page where all the CAFO permit applications are listed. And you can, you know, the, generally they will publish online a copy of the permit application. But what's interesting is the, the applicant is never the large corporation, Margo, that you were just referring to. Uh. Typically, uh, for each individual permit, a an LLC, an individual limited liability company, or LLC as they're called, mm-hmm. is set up, and that's who submits the permit application, and that is the entity to which the permit can ultimately be issued. Mm-hmm. And, and the problem with that is quite often, um, these LLCs have no assets behind them. Mm. Yeah. They're just what, what, you know, people, I think a lot of people have heard the term a shell company or a yeah. shell corporation. You know, certainly, you know, uh, one could make the argument for some of these facilities that that could be the case. Mm-hmm. Well, doesn't DNR check into that? Isn't, doesn't, isn't that part of having to get a permit? It, it's you, you think it would be, but it's really not. You're talking it, about the having any assets or not? Right. I mean, that seems to be uh, you know some kind of bonding or some kind of some kind of bank account that uh, in case there's a, a accident, a spill or something. Un- unfortunately, DNR current DNR regulations don't require any proof of any type of financial wherewithal mm-hmm. in their review of a permit yeah. application like this. Interesting. So. Maybe what do, do they look at? What does DNR look at before they issue a permit? It's my understanding, and again, this uh, when I heard this, I was really shocked mm-hmm. that essentially the DNR permit people have a one or two page checklist that mm-hmm. whenever one of these shell LLC submits a permit application to operate, you know, uh, uh, several thousand head CAFO. Mm-hmm. They just go through this checklist. Well, did they fill out their name? Check yes. Did they fill out an address? Check yes. Did they sign it? Check yes. Does it have a date on it? Check yes. Did they send in their fee of $150? Check yes. Okay, here's your permit. Wow. What about, I mean, Department of Natural Resources, you would think there would be some kind of environmental criteria. Well, no? No, they're, they're, unfortunately, there's really not. Um, for example, I have some clients over in Cooper County, uh, and they had some concerns about a proposed swine CAFO that was going in there. Mm-hmm. And the facility was where the facility was to be located. Mm-hmm. The type of soils at that location were called clay fork soils according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture Natural Resource Conservation Service. The NRCS, they do these comprehensive soil surveys of probably every county in the country, Mm -hmm. and they publish a book with all their findings. Mm -hmm. The the problem with uh, these these particular types of soils 
uh, it has what's called a shrink swell potential. Mm. Shrink mm-hmm. swell means, and, and I'm, I'm trying not to get too technical, but sometimes you have to, unfortunately, that whenever it rains and the rainwater percolates down through the soil, when the soil particles get saturated, they expand, and when they get dry, they contract. Mm-hmm. So it's this expansion-contraction cycle the NRCS calls it shrink swell potential. Mm -hmm. And the soils at the location of this particular proposed CAFO, the NRCS itself, an agency of the federal government, um, determined in its soil survey report for Cooper County that these had severe, and that was their, the federal government's word, severe construction limitations for building underground concrete structures. Oh. Like, like anyone who has a basement in your home, if you go down, depending upon how old it is and what part of mm-hmm. town you live in or whatever, you can develop cracks in your basement or your foundation walls. Mm-hmm. And generally, those cracks are called by this shrink swell of the soils on the outside of the concrete structure. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the issue then is from an environmental perspective, well, if you have this massive underground concrete structure mm-hmm. that holds 8 to 10 million gallons of hog manure, and you have a <gasps> series of heavy rain events with this shrink-swell cycle, ah. and these foundations develop cracks, what's going to happen to the material that's supposedly contained inside the structure? It's going to leak out. Oh, and where is it going to go? It's going to percolate down into the groundwater. So and unfortunately, several of my clients um, live in you know less than a mile away from this facility, and they're all on you know, drinking water wells. There's mm-hmm. no public water supply in that part of Cooper County, and and their shell and their wells are relatively shallow, uh, 300 feet or less. So that that that's their big concern wow. with that particular CAFO in their in their county. And then I have clients, you know, in other. Uh, parts of the state, and they have similar concerns. Mm-hmm. Well, and I've heard that Karst, I think we had um, uh, Todd Parnell on yeah. not too long ago, and he was very concerned about CAFOs in areas that had Karst, because that's just a, like a limestone cave underground that, um, you know, they can visualize the water creeping into it uh, and and polluting the groundwater, just as you said. So th- those are big concerns. So DNR is not um, not mandated to check into these things? Current DNR regulations don't require a review of any environmental criteria concerning soils or um, ge- bedrock geology, i.e. Mm-hmm. whether there's karst at the facility. And the, uh, they just don't look at it. Yeah, the uh, Missouri Clean Water Commission also, I'm reading an article from uh, the Booneville Daily News uh, talking about that critique of the soils, and it said that the commission had to set aside those concerns because they're outside its authority. So huh. there's that, that, like, was, that was a quote from a hearing this past January mm. of the Clean Water Commission. Uh-huh. One of the Clean Water Commissioners, who is a apparently a retired vocational agriculture teacher, mm-hmm. he's also former president of his local county farm bureau, made the statement on the record that, well, although soils are important, we just can't consider them because it's outside our, our purview. Uh, oh, because they uh, are concerned with water. So this, (laughs) it sounds like a comedy of bureaucracy. It does. Where you know you can make such a bureaucracy that everybody points to everybody else, and then 
It is somewhat disingenuous because if the commission takes the view that yes, soils are important, then why not incorporate in your regulations a requirement Mm-hmm. to examine the soil types at a proposed CAFO location. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But are they saying it's not something that they can have to they can consider? They say we we don't have any regulations that allow us to look at that, therefore we don't look at that. And I guess it could be uh, you know, a weak commission that really isn't up to par. I don't know where commission sort of regulations come from. The yeah, let's talk about that Clean Water Commission, because it seems to me that there was a little, uh, there was actually, it's not little, a big change in the actual yeah. nature of the Clean Water Commission a couple of years ago. And how did that work? It was, that, that's a great question. And during 2016, within the, the last week of the legislative session, mm-hmm. an amendment was offered to a particular bill that changed the way or the composition of the Clean Water Commission. And and maybe Todd Parnell went into some of this, I don't know, but uh, previously the commission, there's seven members appointed by the governor, confirmed by the Senate, and there were a certain amount of slots, a slot for a wastewater engineer, some slots for people representing industry, agriculture, and mining, and some slots for people representing the, the general public, the public interest. Okay, public interest, yeah, that's and, a good And there thing. were certain minimum, minimum requirements for the way that it was composed. Mm-hmm. What this amendment did, again, which was offered late in the legislative session, so it never went to a committee hearing or anything, upset that apple cart by eliminating the requirement to have any public interest members on the Clean Water Commission. So that bill was vetoed by Governor Nixon. His veto was overridden by the uh, General Assembly in September of 2016, and the law went into effect. Mm -hmm. And then if you fast forward a year from that, it was in the fall of 2017, there were four members of the Clean Water Commission, one of including Todd Parnell, who had earlier voted to deny CAFO permits for two proposed facilities for environmental environmental and financial concerns. Okay. So what happened in between October and December of 2017 was those four commissioners were fired and they were replaced with four members with significant ties to uh, the agriculture industry. Hmm. For example, the the retired vocational agriculture teacher who was the president of of his county farm bureau, Hmm. the chief of staff to the state senator who was the chair of the Senate Ag Committee, was who sponsored the amendment that made the change (laughs) in the first place, and um, uh, another individual whose father was president of the Missouri Farm Bureau, and it just goes on from there. The legislature can change those criteria so that those become CAFO friendly. That's correct. That's correct. There was one circumstance where the Clean Water Commission here several months ago did deny a CAFO permit that DNR had issued. Mm. The reason being that the name on the permit application was a limited liability company, but Mm -hmm. if you went on the Secretary of State's website and checked the records at the Secretary of State's office, there was no such entity with that name in existence in Missouri. So the DNR issued a CAFO permit to a non-existent entity, and 
the Clean Water Commission overturn that. And oh. that case is currently on appeal at the Court of Appeals in Kansas City. Wow. Wow. And I know that right now you have a case regarding the Clean Water Commission that is moving through the courts and actually going to the Supreme Court? That's right. There's a case. It's set for oral argument uh, down in Jeff City on September the 25th. September 25th. And the legal, the only, you know, the legal issue for the court to decide, it's a constitutional issue, is whether or not this change that was made in 2016 um, was constitutional or not. The Mm -hmm. way the bill was passed late in the session without a hearing, just being what's called log rolled. It it was clumped together with several other bills which were moving through the General Assembly. And, Mm. you know, there's certain circumstances where that can be okay, but there's also certain circumstances where the courts have said that's not okay. Mm -hmm. And my clients believe it fits into that latter category. So that case um, is set to be argued here in just the next few weeks. Great. Okay. Can, can people go to these cases to see these things? Yeah, these, these in hearings action? are all open to the public. Yeah. Okay. So we would just get on the Supreme Court's website and find out where that's going to be. Yeah, the Supreme Court is the big red brick building right across the street from the state capitol. Okay. So we just show up there on the September, what did you say? 20, 25th. 25th. Okay. Besides the Clean Water Commission Supreme Court hearing that's coming up on September 25th, you've been working with citizen groups that are challenging the passage of Senate Bill 391. And 391 passed in the last legislative session, again at the very end, didn't it? It was one of those sort of bills that kind of got slipped in at the end and passed, and um, that's a bill that says that local entities like counties and health health boards cannot pass health ordinances that restrict or regulate concentrated animal feeding operations. So, so maybe give us a little bit of sense of the groups that are reacting to this and what's going on with that, that um, legal foray that's happening. Sure, I'd be glad to. Uh, It's probably better to provide just a little context. Mm. Several years ago, the legislature passed a law. It was section 192.300. And what that particular statute did, it gave authority to a county commission or a county health agency to adopt health ordinances, health regulations, Um, that would regulate, you know, things within the county, provided that the amount of regulation that either the county commission or the health center did was not more stringent than any regulations enforced by essentially the Missouri Department of Health Hmm. or the Department of uh, Senior Services. Mm -hmm. So that was really the uh, restriction on how far a county commission or a uh, public health center could go. Mm -hmm. And then we fast forward several years, uh, probably starting in 2015, 2014, roughly four or five years ago, there were a handful of counties in Missouri and uh, a handful of public health centers adopted either a health ordinance or a health regulation, which specifically imposed requirements on CAFOs. In response to this, over the last several years, there were different versions of 
what we're now referring to as Senate Bill 391 offered during the, the legislative session, but nothing ever passed. But until this past session, when Margo, as you indicated, Senate Bill 391 did pass and was signed into law by the governor. Mm-hmm. That law would, um, among other things, it changed Section 192.300 to the extent that a county commission and a public health center can still adopt health regulations and health ordinances, but those whatever they adopt can't be more stringent than what the Missouri Department of Health does, what the Department of Senior Services does, which were the pre-existing uh, restrictions. But then it also added it can't be any more stringent than a provision in the Missouri Solid Waste Law, the Missouri Air Pollution Law, the Missouri Water Pollution Law, the Missouri Hazardous Waste Law, or mm-hmm. you know ba- basically anything that DNR has on the books, a county cannot be any more stringent than that. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of a lot of scientific data that that talks about, you know, things like um oh, antibiotic resistant bacteria getting out into the environment. And so there's a lot of people who think, well, you know, these things shouldn't be cited near schools. There should be a big setback from schools or churches or homes, that kind of thing. So what you're saying is that a county can, under 391 cannot use that scientifically determined data to put in a regulation to protect their citizens. Is that is that what you're saying? That, that's what certain groups have said mm-hmm. at different public meetings, because really since mm-hmm. 391 was passed and signed into law back in May, um, several county commissions and public health centers around the state have considered adopting uh, a health ordinance, mm-hmm. imposing different types of requirements on CAFOs. Um, uh, I've been to a couple of these. They're uh, attended by several dozens and dozens of p- people who are vocally opposed to any type of regulation on agriculture. Mm-hmm. And uh, the statements are made that, well, there's no science behind this. Uh, we should totally defer to what the Department of Natural Resources does because they have sound science to, to, to impose their regulations on agricultural facilities like CAFOs, which is interesting because, as we just spoke about a few minutes ago, DNR doesn't consider soil types, mm-hmm. geology types. They don't consider any of the important environmental concerns for which there's significant scientific support for that yes, these can be problems associated with the types of, you know, not only air emissions, but, you know, water contaminants from these types of facilities. Mm-hmm. That, that all gets swept under the rug, and, the, and you know, the, the, the groups which are supporting Senate Bill 391, which, you know, mobilize all these folks to show up, you know, and provide a vocal opposition to any county doing anything mm-hmm. related to agriculture regulation. Again, their party line is, well... You're, you're, there's no science supporting what you want to do. We should totally defer to the DNR. Everything the DNR has on the books is science-based, and uh, you're just anti-agriculture. You want to mm-hmm. put farmers out of business. You don't want to allow any type of agriculture operation to come into your county. I mean, m- most county commissioners, I, I think, you know, 
on the average, are going to have a significant concern about promoting economic development for activities mm-hmm. within their county. Why would they adopt something that would totally go against that? I mean, because if if you think about and analyze the arguments that all these opposing groups are making, it's all just you know just ad hominem attacks on the people who you know the county commissioners and the health board people who want to you know do do what's right to protect the public health of their constituents and the folks that live in their respective counties and they're just only doing their job i mean and they're they're called names they're threatened with expensive lawsuits if they adopt anything um i i represent one health center they received three letters threatening that if you adopt a health ordinance, health regulation, you're going to be sued, you know, the next day. And, you know, as everyone knows, lawsuits can be costly and expensive, mm-hmm. particularly if, you know, you're a rural county. You don't have that large of a tax base to begin with. I mean, and th- these are, again, it's all ad hominem attacks, threats and intimidation. And it's all just part of this collective false narrative. So who are the groups, if if you don't mind talking about that, who, who are the groups that are um, pro- trying to promote and trying to go against these government uh, entities? In the, uh, As an example, in mm-hmm. the case of the county health center that I was referring to, they received a letter from the Missouri Farm Bureau mm-hmm. threatening litigation. They received a letter from the attorney who said he represented the Missouri pork producers and the Missouri Cattlemen's Association. Again, actually, he sent two letters, and they each contained the same thread of expensive litigation in case you do this, so on and so forth. And, and then also in one of the local, I recall one of the local newspapers in Columbia here a couple of weeks ago, one of the student writers um, wrote a big piece on you know recent CAFO issues in Missouri, and there, there was a, a quote from that same attorney uh, that says, yeah, any county, any health center that adopts one of these health ordinances can expect a lawsuit. Huh. So the threats are real, the threats are out there, and that's what these county commissioners and, and health center directors were faced with. So as a result of that, uh, here a few days ago, a group consisting of the uh, Cedar County Commission, located down by Stockton Lake, Mm -hmm. the uh, Cooper County Public Health Center, both of who had both which are, you know, legal entities that have authority under 192.300 to adopt these health regulations in the first place, Mm -hmm. along with um, two individual farmer or three individual farmers and uh, the the group out of Callaway County, the Friends of Responsible Agriculture, filed a lawsuit in Cole County down in Jeff City challenging Senate Bill 391. Uh Uh-huh. So so they're challenging 391, and what is their argument to challenge it with? How are they they moving forward with that? Surprisingly... The lead argument as to why Senate Bill 391 is unconstitutional mm-hmm. is the right to farm amendment passed by the voters in Missouri back in 2014. Mm-hmm. If, if you pull out your handy copy of the Missouri Constitution, turn to Article 1, Section 35, and read the text of the right to farm amendment, what, what it says is that 
agriculture is important to Missouri's economy, so on and so forth, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and no one can regulate agriculture. But then it ends with a comma, except as provided for under Article 6 of the Missouri Constitution. And so one would think, well, what does Article yeah, 6 of the that? Constitution huh? deal with? If you, if you turn back to that, that deals with the power of counties. So clearly, Section 192.300, which had been on the books years and years and years ago, mm-hmm. and that was on the books at the time when the voters passed the Right to Farm Amendment. Mm-hmm. So at the time the voters adopted the Right to Farm Amendment in 2014, county commissions and county health centers had legal authority under 192.300 to adopt health ordinances and health regulations as long as they weren't more stringent than the Department of Health or the Department of Senior Services. So that was the lay of the land when the voters passed the Right to Farm Amendment. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and significantly, it was the legislature who put the Right to Farm Amendment on the ballot in the first place. It wasn't a citizen's initiative or anything like that. It was the legislature itself submitted that ballot question to the voters, and they approved it. And at the time, that's the power that counties had to regulate uh, ag ag facilities like this. Mm -hmm. So now we fast forward five years, Senate Bill 391 gets passed, and it totally undercuts the intent of the voters when they pass the right to farm amendment. Mm -hmm. Because if the voters, you know, if someone voted for the right to farm amendment under the belief that county commissions and county health centers had legal authority to regulate agricultural facilities, here's now is the legislature totally undercutting the intent of the voters by passing 391 by imposing all these additional restrictions on that authority. So that's, that's the lead argument why Senate Bill 391 is inconsistent with and therefore unconstitutional when you compare it to the Right to Farm Amendment. Mm-hmm. Well, there are certainly a lot of twists and turns to this. Oh, there are. To this story. Yeah. So these groups that um, are being challenged, the, the Farm Bureau you mentioned, the pork producers, the cattlemen, these, these other groups, they actually reacted with a counter is it called a countersuit what what have they done the the lawsuit was filed i think a week ago monday and that same day the judge it was assigned to entered what's called a temporary restraining order Uh and it said that the uh and the and the defendants who are who are named in the lawsuit include the governor um the missouri air conservation commission the missouri clean water commission and it includes the three agricultural trade associations who sent the threatening letters in the first instance. Um, the ag groups, the you know, the defendants in the agricultural group, along with a couple of other groups, then issued a uh, press release a couple of days after the lawsuit was filed and the temporary restraining order was entered. Mm-hmm. And again, it, you know, several, you know, I know it was published in the Fulton paper and, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've read excerpts and some other um, newspapers from around the state as well. And again, if you read it, it just continues with this false narrative that counties don't have sound science behind them. The only people with sound science supporting their scope of their regulations is the DNR, which we know that the DNR, in effect, doesn't even regulate anything. Right. And um, 
So that you know, and, and the ad hominem attacks, how they would vigorously resist this, so on and so forth. So let me just ask you: when these groups come forward, you know, the groups that we've just mentioned, all these commodity groups, when they come forward to court defending their sound science, do they? bring sound science with them? Because I've seen pages and pages of articles, headlines of articles that talk about the health problems and the environmental problems that are brought by concentrated animal feeding operations. I really haven't read anything that goes the other direction. And, and is there, what am I missing? The, the, this particular lawsuit, again, since it was just filed mm-hmm. last week, we haven't got to the point where there is a full hearing on the merits of all the claims. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it would be at that point, I would think, that uh, if any of the defendants did, in fact, have some sound science pointing out why the county commissioners and the, and the public health center folks uh, are acting inappropriately or beyond their authority or making decision based on unsound science, that, that, that will be the time to uh, uh, lay those cards on the table. Mm-hmm. But up to this point, um, again, all it is is a series of threats, intimidating letters, um, threats, and, you know, and again, you know, the, maintaining the same false narrative in, in press releases. But, um, you know, it, it, uh, I, I was talking to a friend of mine from Texas the other day explaining all this, and they made the comment, well, it sounds like these folks are just uh, all hat and no cattle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a, a big story. The pardon the pun. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> free range, free range cattle, no free range cattle. <laughs> Well, it, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting twist and turns to um, to try to follow. Um, I guess the bottom line, I think there are 22 counties now that have health ordinances. Taney County just passed one the other day. Is that right? I think. I think it's you know somewhere between 20 and 25. 20 I know and 20. I know that several counties just within the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. were considering um, adopting one. Mm-hmm. Like, I know, for example, the Montauk County Health Center um, had a meeting scheduled this past Monday evening to take up the question whether or not they should, you know, adopt the regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of the uh, attendance and, you know, vocal opposition and all that, they their board decided, well, to just take a wait-and-see approach and let's see how this lawsuit gets resolved and then they'll see if they want to revisit the issue. Okay, but right now the temporary restraining order, of course that we should have mentioned, I should have mentioned earlier that if Senate Bill 391 prevails, it would go into effect today. Today would be the last, or yesterday would be the last day that a county could have passed a health ordinance. But with a temporary restraining order, that's been extended apparently until um, the restraining order is is lifted? Yeah, the judge um, in the case now, uh, it's been assigned to a different judge at the request of a couple of the uh, defendants. Mm -hmm. There's a hearing scheduled in Jeff City on September the 16th for what's called a preliminary injunction. And um, uh, at that point, we'll get into some of the merits of some of these claims. Okay. In the in the temporary restraining order, or as lawyers call it, a TRO, remains in effect until then. 
and under the terms of the TRO, Senate, no one can do anything to enforce Senate Bill 391. So in effect, it's on hold. And the TRO also prohibits any of the three uh, commodity groups who had sent all the threatening letters and made all the threatening comments for either for themselves, their members, or their affiliates from filing any lawsuits based on 391. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you ever have contact with any of their members? Do you know how, how folks feel about this, folks that are maybe Farm Bureau members or um, pork producers or that kind of thing? Do they ever get a hold what, of you? What's interesting, in speaking with um, the presiding commissioner of Cedar County mm-hmm. down in Stockton, they adopted a health ordinance back in 2016. Mm-hmm. And he, and he, he told me that at the time that they were considering that, they had overwhelming support from farmers and ranchers in Cedar County. Mm-hmm. So I have to believe that at, at back in 2016, there had to be some type of you know circumstance driving and mobilizing you know the, the local agricultural folks, to get behind the county commission on the health ordinance, mm-hmm. you know what what that circumstance is. I, I you know I don't know what all the details were, but mm-hmm. again, I uh, I take the gentleman at his word that they had overwhelming support for it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that was certainly the the case in a lot of these counties that have passed them. Um, right here in Mid Missouri, I don't suppose uh, Callaway hasn't, Boone hasn't, um, Audrain hasn't. So. So uh, Howard County, I think, has a health ordinance. I believe they adopted one within the last year or so. Yeah, yeah. So we've got a few counties that have taken that seriously. Well, we've been talking to Steve Jeffrey, environmental lawyer and uh, someone who has worked a lot with citizen groups who are challenging the rights of concentrated animal feeding operations to just sit down in their in their communities um steve are there ways that people we can tell people to get more information or uh how they can watch how these court cases are moving forward is there any like a website or a facebook page or something like that that you've got going uh i personally don't have a website or Mm -hmm. facebook page but i know other groups do i think um uh you may have some information on one of them well you know friends of responsible agriculture would definitely be probably following this very closely they are at uh it's a facebook page friends of responsible agriculture i don't how do you find facebook pages right you know Uh, how to do that i'll look it up right now okay maybe we could link to it yeah you literally type in friends of responsible that's all you have to do and then you get their facebook page yeah it's it's the one it's the only one that pops up well i'm sure that they will be following this all this adventure so thanks so much thanks for being here and um it's always great to see you and we'll see you at the right to harm presentation we'll just announce that one more time
thing we done was wrong. Staying in the wilderness too long. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on. The only thing we done was right. Was the day we started to fight. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on. Hold on.